A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 126 of Confessions of a Marketer, Google's Perfect World. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Jeff Atkinson of Huckabay is back. SEO, structured data, and Google's Perfect World are all on the agenda. We'll press start on that in a moment. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. The year is almost up and we have a lot in store for next year. Next time, we kick off 2020 with another Jeff with a different spelling. It's Jeff Hahn, principal of Apron, an agency focused on marketing and PR in the food business. Coming soon, Mel Edwards, global CEO of Wonderman Thompson. Joe Auer will expand on our discussion about SEO. And Jocelyn Kopak will be in to talk about building a great brand. Lots more coming up. So as we like to say, stay tuned. All right, back to Jeff Atkinson. This time we learn about building a site for SEO, Google's perfect world, algorithms, and B2C versus B2B. Let's get to it. There is obviously a science to the way a website should work for a bot that hits it, and that's what your product takes care of. You're nailing it. That's exactly right. We spend a ton of time and money and energy on the human interaction with a website and very little time on what's Google's interaction. And I actually argue that that interaction is more important because it dictates how many humans come. And so we're built to solve that interaction and that UI UX with a Google bot. Tell me about Google's perfect world and why Huckabye is so focused on it. So Google's perfect world basically means, as I said earlier, what would a website look like if it was built for Google? The sort of real life example I use is Wikipedia. So Wikipedia, it's structured just by the way it's designed. It's flat HTML. It loads fast. It has obviously tons and tons of user-generated content. And it's simple for them to understand. And so they really leverage Wikipedia. So yeah, there's sort of three things. The first is page speed. So they care a lot about page speed, not only for how it affects a user's experience, 
but just their own personal selfish reasons is they can't crawl and gather all the information they want from a slow site. So they want a site that's really fast. They like simple flat HTML sites that don't have these complicated front end coding technologies. And then they really care about structured data because that's really the language that they prefer to be communicating with websites with. And so those three things, if you put those together, you're kind of queuing up their perfect world. It's just something that we use internally. Like we use that subject to sort of get us thinking about products and how we can make sites better. It's not really a web crawler anymore. It's a web runner, right? They don't want to crawl through your site. They want to get through it almost instantly. Yeah, so there's two different things. There's a crawler and then there's what they call a renderer. So a crawler can crawl HTML, but because sites are not all pure HTML, they then actually have to render the URL. And that's done using Chrome. So Chrome, same thing as your browser, is the same technology that they use when they crawl and render sites so that they can take that information and put it into their search index. And there's actually a developer version of Chrome called Chromium. And that is the sort of latest and greatest renderer that they use to fully understand sites and get them in their index. We mentioned these earlier, and we've talked about Google's algo changes a few times on this podcast. And much as I've heard about them, I don't pretend to really understand them, but I know they have kind of a polarizing effect on people in marketing. <laughs> and some people are really interested in what they mean and really in favor of these changes, and some people aren't. But Huckabye kind of roots for these Google algorithm updates. Why is that? We do. It's mainly because our customers grow as a result. So most algorithm updates are in line with our technology. And so the more, for example, they lean on structured data, the more our customers benefit. They have, like any software company, they have sort of a product roadmap and a directional way that they're heading. And if you align yourself with that, you root for algorithm updates. If you're not aligned with that, I always say with algorithm updates, there's winners and losers, right? Just as many people get hurt, just as many get helped. And we want to be on the group that are getting helped by them. And I can give you some, just like one example around algorithm, how to think about their algorithm. It's with mobile. So every single algorithm update of the last five years, in some way, shape, or form, has become more mobile-friendly. Probably the biggest one was when they switched to a mobile-first index, which was a really big shift. But they're never going to go backwards and say, you know what, that mobile, people aren't using their mobile phones as much. We think that's going to go, they, we yeah. think that trend's going to go away. So we're going to go <laughs> back to the old desktop-first algorithm. No, that's just going to continue. So it's one of the reasons that they really care about page speed, because you usually don't have the fastest connection on your mobile phone. And they're also their biggest sort of growth initiative at this point is giving the third world access to the internet. And that is going to be relatively slow page speed on mobile devices. And so you do have to be, if you were optimized for mobile in 2010 and were ahead of that curve, you got a tremendous amount of benefit by Google algorithm updates because you knew that the algorithm was going to get more and more mobile friendly. And it has. And so we I don't think it's really rocket science to predict kind of where they're going. I think it's pretty straightforward and they're pretty honest with it. You know, their page speed, structured data, 
dynamic rendering. This is kind of where they're going and you want to be out ahead of it. A great another example is voice search. So it's not really leveraged a lot today, but it's going to be. And structured data powers all of voice search. So it's important to look at these trends and try to be out in front of them. That's our job. That's what we do for a living. And voice search to me is the future. It just seems like with these devices that Amazon and Google and Apple have, the HomePod and all these other devices are interesting, but everybody forgets with voice search, well, you've got a device in your hand pretty much 24-7. You don't need a smart speaker. You've got your phone in your hand. And you can use that. And because you can't take a smart speaker with you into your backyard, usually, you've (laughs) got it with you wherever you are. And there's so much focus on the speakers as the intermediary for these voice searches rather than on the phone. Yeah, I'd love to give you my sort of take on. Yeah, go ahead. You wouldn't mind, Mark. So just like there was a seismic shift to mobile at some point, I think the same thing is going to happen with voice search, but it isn't there yet because the experience isn't quite good enough. Right. So I don't know if you know, I'm guessing you remember the days of trios and Palm Pilots. Where, you know, <laughs> I, had, you know, well, I had a Palm Pilot, yeah, learned all take, those different symbols, you know, with the <laughs> pen. Yeah. Right. So. You take out the stylus and yeah. you type in very hunt and peck, type in a website. And it would take 30, 40 seconds for the website to load. And you're just like, this isn't great. This isn't effective. So if I can grab my laptop and hop on the Wi-Fi, I'm going to do that nine times out of 10. And then the iPhone came out and our networks really got much faster. And so you could have an iPhone and you could go to Safari or Chrome or whatever. And it was all of a sudden really fast. And it wasn't just fast. The websites were also designed for mobile. So when you were on your trio and you'd go to Overstock, it was like they were cramming the entire website into yeah. this little tiny screen. Now, you know, 90% or more of the internet is optimized for mobile. And so the UI, like the interaction with humans, became almost as good, if not as good, as a desktop. And that's right then is when the seismic shift happened. If I think about my voice search today, say I want to buy a product, I want to buy a new golf club. I can't effectively buy a golf club knowing I'm getting the best price, knowing what the reviews are, looking at pictures. I can't do that yet on a voice search because I just get one answer back. There's the joke about Bezos trying to buy something at Whole Foods and Alexa thought he meant buy Whole Foods and that's how they bought <laughs> Whole Foods. Right? I hadn't heard that joke. That's great. <laughs> I love that. But it's just not quite there yet from a human interaction with a voice search. I strongly believe it will be. So at some point, it will be easier for you to do whatever you need to do by talking to a device rather than typing and looking at it. I think Google will probably, it's actually an opportunity for Google's competitors to really potentially beat them to the punch. But I think Google's going to figure it out before anybody, just because that's kind of how they operate. But once that happens, once it's as easy to buy a product using voice search and the experience is great, or order takeout, or all the things that we do online, 
it'll shift. And all of a sudden, voice search will be like mobile. It'll be the primary way people are interacting. And that may also be a function of getting 5G everywhere and having all that bandwidth available and the latency and all that addressed. And that's the promise of 5G. Obviously, who knows exactly how it's going to work out. But a lot of the functions that we now take for granted on the iPhone or any smartphone for that matter were excruciatingly slow when the iPhone first came out on the Edge network. And it took a couple of years of network build-outs and then an upgrade to 4G for the iPhone to become what it is now. And I would imagine that these voice things will take a similar path. I think one of the things that's actually more important when it comes to the success of voice search is the adoption of structured data. And just so you understand why, so the way that voice search actually works is if I search on my desktop how to make a margarita, it will show me, instead of just giving me 10 blue links, it'll show me a step-by-step directions, usually like above the fold, right? That'll so say how to and do We're it. recording this on a Friday afternoon and you just said margarita and now I'm thinking about margarita. And- yeah, <laughs> this is something that voice search will actually help you on. So those instructions are all powered by recipe structured data. And so it has to be in place. So instead of with voice search, the difference is instead of getting 10 blue links back, you just get one answer. And that answer is actually being provided by it literally reading that box at the top of the page that's powered by structured data back to you. And so for it to be successful, other than just recipe sites and ticketing sites and all these sites that have really adopted structured data, because if you don't use it, you basically can't participate. If other industries adopt it, voice search gets so much better because there's now answers for your questions. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I think within the next couple of years, we'll see how this comes together. It's developing very rapidly. It sure is, yeah. That's what's fun about our space and what we do for a living is it's moving at a speed that is kind of incomprehensible, but it's fun to be a part of. Yeah. Before we close out, I want to talk about something that we have also talked quite a bit about on this podcast is the difference between B2C and B2B. The lines are blurring and is the importance of SEO to either side of those blurring as well? Is B2B an area where SEO can be really helpful? I think really good CMOs are realizing that SEO is their most important channel. It's the most scalable, meaning, you know, if you do a paid search, which most of these companies do, and they've spent a lot of money on it, at a certain point, you start to lose money, you know, start to go into the red. With SEO, it could keep growing and growing until you're, you know, Amazon, like literally, there's no end in sight. So when I talk to really good CMOs of B2B companies, they get that this is the channel. It's not going away. E-commerce and B2C, they've known it all along. The companies that are successful, the Ebays, the Amazons, the Overstocks, the travel sites and content sites, they get that their number one channel is organic search. I think software, it's been later to the party for reasons I kind of described earlier, but the really smart ones get it. And the fastest growing software companies in our customer portfolio are ones that are betting big on SEO and growing very rapidly with their organic channel. 
Really interesting story, I think, woven through here about the importance of things that you don't see right away when you look at a website. You think of presentation, but what's underlying that is really critically important, but not obvious to those marketers who kind of come at it from a creative standpoint, but really critical, I think. And I'm sure my listeners will really value this discussion. I really appreciate you joining me, Jeff. That's been a pleasure, Mark. I think my last thought is that they're all doing really great work. It's just these technical things enhance that work. So it allows that content and all the great things that they're doing to reach a broader audience, which I think is what everybody wants. That's great. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Next time, Jeff Hahn on marketing the food business. He also has a book we'll chat about, Breaking Bad News. So stay tuned. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2019. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time.